This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 722 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your marvelous head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm your head number two, my name is Matt Baum. I got an uncle, Marv, does that count? No! It's time for another back issue show. This time our sentient cosmic long box is forcing us to read and discuss classic comics based on a theme and with the Marvels hitting the big screen the CLB decided we should talk about all the ladies that used Marvel in their code names. After that we'll set you up with our must read picks for next week's new comics but now if you thought you were going to get a polite look at some demure waif models in swimsuits I got bad news for you pigs. It's time for badass lady back issue review time. In the cigarette. There it is. <laughs> Carol Danvers isn't the only lady in the Marvel U to use the name Marvel. Hell, we're going to talk about one in the DCU, too. And today, the Cosmic Long Box has us digging into the history of ladies that use the code name Marvel. We've got Misses, we got Captains, we got Girls, and even a Mary, which I believe is where we begin today, Joe. Mary Marvel. That's right, Matt. We are starting with Captain Marvel Adventures number 18. This came out from not DC, but Fawcett Publications. The year was 1942. It's written by Otto Binder with art by Mark Swayze, father of Patrick. Little known fact. Here's your synopsis, courtesy of mycomicshop.com. The first appearance of Mary Marvel. Billy Batson accidentally discovers a young girl appearing on the station WHIZ radio show, The Mental Marvel Quiz, possesses half of a strange locket that he has the other half to. That confirms the fact that Billy and Mary are actually twins. Accidentally is right. We opened a can of worms. That's what we did. And yet I never got an answer, but we'll get into it. You know you're in for a good time when a comic book opens with a statement of approval from an advisory board that includes the likes of Eleanor Roosevelt, former president of the Girl Scouts and former first lady. Yeah, I wish comics would do that. So I wish the man could tell me that this comic book was all right. You know, like the government would be like, don't worry, Matt, we've approved this one. In 1942, actually, I think she was currently the first lady, but she was the former president of the Girl Scouts. And Rear Admiral Richard E. Byrd, that old salt. Credit where it's due, Captain Marvel Adventures does start with a fun illustrated table of contents that gives you a little peek, a little taste of the stories contained within. Uh, then, But then you read them. <laughs> Mary Marvel makes her first appearance thanks to a series of stunning coincidences. Kid reporter Billy Batson of Wiz Radio is hosting a radio quiz show that just so happens to feature his friend slash sidekick, Freddie Freeman, a.k.a. Captain Marvel Jr., who acts like they're strangers for some reason. Percy Pill, the kid with the quote-unquote highest intelligence in the state, 
and Mary Bromfield, who is there to represent, according to the dialogue, all girls. Well, and then like the other kid is representing all poor kids. <laughs> well, Freddie, I guess. Freddie, he's like, I guess I'm representing poor kids everywhere. <laughs> uh, Billy notices during the quiz that Mary is wearing a broken locket mere moments before he is summoned to the bedside of a dying nursemaid, deciding that mm, about five minutes is plenty of time to find out one's entire life is a lie, Billy becomes Captain Marvel and races to the nurse. She reveals that she kidnapped Billy's infant twin sister and passed her off as the newborn daughter of the Bromfields, whose real baby fucking died. Yeah, so let's just unpack that for a second. So, nurse. Yeah, I'm assuming this is all happening in the hospital. Nurse delivers yeah. two babies... Billy and Mary's mom dies, right? Or she was yeah, dead and they or, pulled the or, babies or out. There of are two babies in the hospital when the when they die. But they're, it's they're fresh. They're fresh enough. They're newborns. Yeah. You can pull this off. Okay. So then she goes over. I better check on the, the rich lady's baby. Oh crap, it's dead. Oh, you know yeah. what? I can't tell Rich Lady that. In fact, I'm so freaked out about telling Rich Lady that. I'm gonna take this baby. Stick I'm it in there. Good way. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know what she did with baby corpse. Okay. Cause that's too dark. <laughs> this is already so dark. Well, and there then are she's layers like, of darkness. If you peel this onion, screw you, Billy Batson, you get to go to the orphan. Not only are you going to the orphanage, you're going alone. <laughs> right. Uh, so, wow. Yeah, uh, like there, there are, if you peel this onion too far, there are layers upon layers of darkness. This because is the uh, yeah, darkest. Hey, what happened to the dead baby? What'd they do with the dead baby? Yeah. Um, who's going to tell mom and dad Bromfield about their not daughter? Is anyone going to tell them? No. Or are they just going to like not play important. dumb? They'll let, I guess that's up to Mary, you know, but the, look, Mary just found out too. So, uh, and she takes it very third, well. Third, the Bromfields are fucking loaded. Yeah. They're like the goddamn Rockefellers That's or what something. I'm saying. This woman- And Billy could have lived a life of luxury, right. but no. And this woman could have done the right thing. Oh my God. Yeah. You're, you yeah, yeah, lost no. your child. It's so awful. But by some miracle, we have these two babies that need a home. Yeah. And to me and to make up for it, I mean, nothing can help yeah, with yeah. the loss of a no, child. Nothing like, but, nothing like that happened. But perhaps we could, you know, you could take these two orphans and your heart will begin to mend. Nope. I'm just going to steal this no. girl. Steal no, 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 no. I'm going to steal. Yeah, yeah. No. Put her where the dead uh, kid was laying, by the way. And just be like, right. ah, it's fine. <laughs> and so this was, you know, this had to have been, you know, Billy's what? 10, 12? I don't know how old I don't Billy know, but this nurse to went here. to hell. I'm telling you that. She, when she died, she went to hell for this. So. I mean, the comic makes it. The comic makes it seem like she thought she was doing the right thing. but uh. Uh, But also, hey, wouldn't you know it? Uh, she gives Billy his own broken locket that just so happens to match Mary's. So if that telegram hadn't shown up at the radio station on the day that Mary came to record the kids show. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Billy never would have known. The rest, as they say, is history. Uh, to give the story credit once again, it at least attempts to represent girl power. Uh, but it's also the early 1940s, so it's still full of misogynistic stereotypes. Different definition of girl power back then, definitely. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're trying. Yeah. Right. The plot is so dependent on blind, dumb coincidence that it is 
borderline impossible. And it requires near sociopathic behavior from the adults in Billy and Mary's life in order to make any sense whatsoever. Because in addition to the nurse's actions, the Bromfields are blameless. But in addition to the nurse's actions, it is revealed that the wizard Shazam knew the whole time and just didn't tell him. I mean, like, does the wizard even care? (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's, that's why he says, and I, a wizard like, he says, ah, you know what? Is, I need these magic pawns to play my magic game. So whatever. Yeah. Who yeah. Cares? Now <laughs> I am, I am paraphrasing, but he does say something to the effect of, I just didn't want to rob you of this happy moment. No, really? no, no, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> I would have, I would have murdered the wizard at that point. I would have pressed my thumbs into the wizard's eyes. <laughs> you know, yeah, you no. robbed me of a childhood full of sibling love. Yes. No, no absolutely not. <laughs> uh, the art is great. I'm a big fan of the old Fawcett style. It's it's a lot different than other Golden Age books. It's a weird mix of comic strip cartooning, uh, early animation styles like the Fleischer Brothers, and Prince Valiant-esque realism. If you look at um, Freddy in this issue, you see that Captain Marvel Jr. is always hot as hell. He's like drawn more realistic than any other character in yeah, the entire comic. Yeah, kind of like Billy has like weird little dot eyes. Like he's like, got like little orphan Annie. Kind yeah, of eyes, and except it, they're dot black dots instead but of. But for some uh, reason, Billy circle. looks like a. Pardon me, Freddie looks like a pretty hot guy. If you're into poor people, I guess Jerry everyone White. else is kind of like cartoon nightmare. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Oh, you know what? Um, it's they're very gasoline alley kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. The cartoonishness is very gasoline alley, and then there's that some Fleischer Brothers stuff when it comes to the villains and the wizard. And then, yeah, and then and there's Freddy, who's a fucking smoke show. Yeah, weird. The rest, the rest of the issue is full of bizarre Golden Age fodder. Like, the stories are very strange. So let's get yeah, to the... It's a, it's a skim. Let's get to what we're trying to figure out. Are Mary yeah, and okay. Billy still twins? Yes okay, or no? So, uh, Matt and I discussed this at length I last figured night. this was as easy as you going, no, that's a Golden Age stuff. And it, It's not! And, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so uh, to my knowledge, this is what I knew going into the conversation last night. Mary and Billy used to be depicted as twins, but in recent stories, specifically the new champion of Shazam drawn by Doc Shaner, uh, she's definitely depicted as older than Billy, not by a ton, but like she's a college freshman. Wasn't she kind of And Billy always? does not seem to be college age. But wasn't it always kind of like that when Bill, Billy was always a little kid and Mary well, was but like- But they were twins a, a is the thing. All the way up until modern day, they ha- they were always like, every story I read, they were like twins, twins, twins. Oh, but okay. then I didn't when know they transformed, they looked older. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, so I knew that. Maybe because some confusion comes in. All right. But- yeah, like in recent stories, it seems more like the movie where Mary Bromfield is depicted as a, a slightly older than Billy Batson, college freshman. Whereas Billy, if you read Shazam, which I believe takes place in the present day, Billy's still very much a young teen. He's a kid. Yeah, he's thir- yeah. 13, 14. Maybe. Right, exactly. And so... um. So I knew that there was an age disparity, but when you search online, it's like nobody can make up their mind because ah. historically all they have is twins, twins, twins. So everywhere you go, even the DC.com website says that Mary is the twin sister of Captain Marvel. But 
I scoured the fandom that made a um, a distinction between the pre-Flashpoint Billy and Mary, the New 52 Billy and Mary, and then now the post-rebirth Billy and Mary. So at some point uh, during the New 52, according to the fandom wiki, they were only adopted siblings. And so with all of this conflicting data, we don't know. No, nobody knows. (laughs) The only thing I, I could do was ask Mark Wade. And I have not yet received a response. from. We'll see. Stay tuned for the (laughs) stay tuned. Cause right now we don't know. I don't think Mark Wade would ignore that piece of continuity. So I think that, my assumption is that they're brother and sister, though not necessarily twins. I think Mark Wade is packing his stuff right now and fleeing the country very quietly. I think he's out of here. Like, he's like, oh, they found me out. Shit. I don't know how they found me, but they found me. <laughs> In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. <laughs> Next up, we got a mystery, folks. I am reviewing what would have been Miss Vol- I am reviewing what would have been Miss Marvel, Volume One, Number Twenty Five. But it is printed in the pages of Marvel Superheroes, Volume Two, Number Eleven, the giant-sized fall special. You'll hear why in a minute. Marvel put this out in 1991 to answer some unanswered questions. The art was by Mike Vosberg and Mike Gustavich. It was written by Chris Claremont and Simon Furman of UK Transformers fame. Vosberg and Claremont work on the first half of the story. Gustavich and Furman were brought on to finish this story. Colors by Heidi Goodhue. I'm guessing that's a fake name. This is Marvel Superheroes Volume 2. Carol's first appearance was actually in Marvel Superheroes Volume 1. Fun fact from Uncle Joe. Thank you. Fun fact. I'm just saying. In an attempt to finally show readers the story of Rogue actually attacking and taking Carol's mind and powers, Simon Furman and Mike Gustavich were hired to finish the story that Claremont and Vosberg had started. Didn't this story get told in the pages of Avengers Annual number 10? You may be asking yourself. No. No, it didn't, nerd. And let me blow your mind even more. The first appearance of Rogue was supposed to be in the pages of Miss Marvel number 25. Instead... Miss Marvel gets canceled, and we only get a recap of Rogan Carroll's battle in Avengers Annual 10. Pretty big thing to happen off panel, <laughs> right? These were huge events when Rogue, who first appeared in Avengers Annual number 10, battled Miss Marvel and stole not only her powers, but her mind. But we only saw the aftermath in that I didn't book. know that. Yeah. I didn't realize that the story was never actually told. That That's what's so mind-blowing about this. It's this lost yeah. issue. It's amazing. I had no idea this story had never been printed before I was trying to find the actual battle between Rogue and Carol. I asked Joe, I was asking you, when did this happen? And you're like, Avengers Annual 10. I'm looking at him like, it's not in here. It did not happen here. Issue 24 was also printed in the previous issue of Marvel Superheroes, and it's a full Claremont Vosberg issue where Carol fights Sabretooth in the subway tunnels below New York. Claremont had big plans for Miss Marvel before her monthly got canceled. So it kind of shocks me that he didn't like finish this story in his X-Men run or maybe like a backup in an X-Men annual or something. It's really weird. <laughs> The Claremont, yeah, it's bizarre. The Claremont-Vosberg stuff is, is good. 
Tony Stark is intimidated by Carol while she's investigating the death of her therapist with the dumbest Reed Richards invention ever. <laughs> it's like, oh it's yeah. A thermal imager. I've it, seen it. It looks at like heat in the room and then reconstructs everything that happened with 3D. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Little does she know, Mystique is after her the entire time. Vosberg is by no means amazing on the art. But I will say, when the second creative team comes on to finish the story, things get noticeably 90s Marvel house style and even jumps through time to get to the Rogue and Carol battle where she lost her powers and mind. It is a mess of a finish. And it's too bad Claremont never got to tell what would have been a massively dramatic part of Carol's character. It is wild that the story would be reprinted here and finished by another creative team so unceremoniously. I don't think Carol was very hot at this time, so maybe nobody cared. I'm giving this a skim it because it's so interesting, but the way they finished it was so bad. It was so throwaway. It was just like two people got their shot to finish their story, and they were like, how many pages do I have? Six? Okay, here goes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not good. No, it's, it's not it, good. It is a historical curiosity, though. And yeah, I'll give it a skim it for that reason, because I I honestly did not, I did not know. I thought, like, Avengers Annual 10, I thought that's Rogue's battle with Carol, and the Avengers are, you know, on the sidelines, or they show up for the aftermath, or whatever, whatever. But no, none of that happens. No, it, it, just- it opens with... It opens with Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, fishing Carol out of the drink. Yeah. And she's like comatose. And yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, the Ms. Marvel, like the original part by the original creative team, it, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Um, the writing throughout is fine, I would say, except for they really have to rush to put a button on it at the end. <laughs> Oh, the, the, to, to yeah. finally button it all up at the end because it's like, oh, and then by the way, she becomes binary at the end. Well, and, and you can tell, like, a, you know, the way Claremont tells stories. No one had told him this series was canceled yet because we still making right. issues. And he was like, oh, yeah, this story. Oh, yeah. It, this is going to stretch out like, over the next I, 30 issues like of this. Sitting series. at his typewriter. <laughs> he's sitting at his typewriter writing the script for 25 when the phone rings. Right. And they say, Chris, bad news. Carol's canceled. Yeah. And he's just like throws his typewriter in the garbage and never writes again. Uh, yeah, I mean the modern day the the art the modern day art is not good. Um, it's a, this is a weird curiosity. A skit is the best I I can do, but I also feel like the story of what happened to Carol is so ingrained in like the history of Rogue and the history of Carol today. That even through osmosis, people probably know what happened to her. Well, sure. We all just assume we saw it. Everybody just assumes we, It's like it. the Mandela effect. Yeah. We all think a thing happened and it never actually happened. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, because don't tell me people lined up to pick up Marvel superheroes, giant size, number 11, fall special. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, so, the other stories uh, the, in this book suck. <laughs> yes. The uh, the second volume of Marvel superheroes was a quarterly anthology, and so they were all labeled like Winter Fiesta, you know, sure. uh, Fall Special or whatever. Um, but they were these eighty page, huge eighty page plus anthology books, and most of the time the stories are garbage. Oh, yeah. just garbage. Mm-hmm. 
also had her mind trapped inside me. That's when the spell started. You stole my powers. You stole my life. Let's move on to our second Captain Marvel of the night with Avengers 233 from Marvel. The year was 1983. It's written by Roger Stern with our, uh, pardon me, it's written by Roger Stern and John Byrne with breakdowns by Byrne, finishes by Joe Sinnott, colors by Christy Scheel, letters by Jim Novak. Here is your solicit courtesy of Marvel.com. Annihilus has escaped and has taken the Fantastic Four captive. But before Earth's mightiest heroes can rescue them, they must first get through dot, dot, dot. The barrier! I added the dots for effect. Yeah, definitely. Will our heroes prove victorious before Anaholus has his way? Avengers 233 is one of the first Avengers comics I ever read. I was five years old when it came out. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. It's not exactly Watchmen, but it features a really compelling plot about an invisible barrier created by a nihilist that's slowly overtaking the city. Considering the primary antagonist is a see-through wall, Roger Stern and John Byrne's story is still really exciting, showing various attempts by the Avengers to pierce the barrier to varying degrees of success. I still get a little jolt when you find out what happens to things like Thor's hammer and the Vision's synthesoid body when they cross through to the other side. The Thor's Nothing hammer good. thing was great, too, because it's like if I he's away it. from the hammer for more than a minute, he turns back, and it's like, so his yeah. hammer goes through, and Steve's like, oh, that's crazy. Uh, you better get the fuck out of here, uh, huh? Thor, don't you have an appointment? Don't <laughs> yeah, you have like, an appointment well, to get to? gotta Thor? go. Thor's like, oh, barely. Because like, the other away. Avengers didn't know he was Donald Blake, And apparently. he runs away <laughs> on foot. I love which it. Is very he's sad. like, well, good luck, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this issue also features my very first exposure to Monica Rambeau, who was Captain Marvel at the time, and a new recruit to the team. This isn't her first appearance or her origin story, but the writers, along with Byrne and Sennett's amazing art, depict the full scope of her tremendous powers. And when she turns herself into a gamma ray laser fired from the sun and ruins Annihilus's day, it blew my mind as a tiny five-year-old kid. And I've been a fan of the character ever since. Real quick, it also makes the best onomatopoeia I've ever read in oh, Scracata, yeah. Scracata Boom. I know, yeah. <laughs> Scracata? Scracata. Well, it's like Scra-cata. broken up, actually. So it's like Scracata, Scracata, Boo, Boom. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, it's powerful. This is also a fun companion issue to Fantastic Four 256, the flip side of this tale, and the first appearance of the FF's iconic black and white uniforms. Avengers 233 has been one of my favorite comics for 40 years, and I was so glad to find out that it holds up today. Not only that, but if you want a comic that shows just how badass Monica Rambeau can be, look no further. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, this is awesome. It's a huge team up. It's great. Roger Stern is so great at this stuff. I love the way, the same that you said, the way that they show Captain Marvel's powers and it's sort of like she's purple and then she's red and then she's like orange and then yellow. It's like all prismatic and like, oh man, it's great. She's wonderful. Unfortunately, you know, there's some whiny vision and Scarlet Witch shit here that you just 
can't get away from at this time. So. Uh, well, uh, like, <laughs> like I don't uh, care. <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> I, I had to like, I had to stifle an audible groan when they get to the scene. We get to the scene at the end and the Scarlet Witch is like, Ugh. we've just been through so much this year. And it says, see the vision in the Scarlet Witch. And I was like, yeah. no, don't do it. Yeah. When the vision went inside the thing and fell over, I was like, good. <laughs> I go, oh, dead. come I'll, on. The vision is cool. I hope they never get him out of there. I'm giving this a buy it. You're a bad person. No, I'm not. The vision sucks, Joe. And he's always a problem. And the only the bigger vision, pro- the only rules. bigger problem than the vision who's always crying about stuff is his girlfriend who ruined everything and made him cry. <laughs> so. The vision rules. He just has bad taste in women. Good Lord. We have said goodbye before. So it stands to reason. We'll say hello again. Not only has there been more than one Captain Marvel, there's been a bunch of Miss Marvels and we're going to talk about well, I guess she's a nasty one. This is Miss Marvel Volume 2, number 45. It's from Marvel 2006, cover by Santa Takeda, art by Phil Briones, written by Brian Reed, with letters by David Sharp, or maybe Sharpie. I don't know. Here's your. Probably s- not Sharpie. Here's your solicit, and I wrote this. In the wake of the Skrull invasion, Norman Osborn is the hero that saved the day, and now he's running the Avengers with his own team of bad guys, including his very own Miss Marvel, as played by Carla Sofen, who you all know better as Moonstone. You know, she's a huge name. Carla started out playing the part of the hero, but at this point, she's trying to kill Carol Danvers, who Carla thinks is not who she says she is, and she kind of isn't right now. And the creepy Carol lookalike, Catherine Donovan, that seems to make Carol more powerful the closer she gets. Turns out, Catherine was actually Carol separated from her Kree super self thanks to some baby Modocs called the Storytellers. Trust me, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. The Dark Reign storyline was a high point for Marvel in the early 2000s. And while I read most of the tie-ins, I wasn't reading Reed's Miss Marvel at the time. Carla's story was particularly sad in that Osborne had tricked her into thinking she was actually going to be a hero and do some good. And it would take this three-part war of the Marvel story for Moonstone to actually remember who she was before Osborne really got his hooks into her. It's a great story if you can look past the Modoc babies that split Carol into two personalities and art with such soft color effects that the whole issue looks like it could be a perfume ad. Carol and Moonstone were still wearing swimsuits at the time and drawn exactly the same. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when Carla is calling Carol the fat Miss Marvel, but it is kind of funny and catty. I mean, they're catty. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a while since Carla has had a face turn, though, so she's got to be due. I always liked the fact that, like, Moonstone was bad, but then she hung out with Cap for a while. She's like, no, I want to be good. You know, I'm not bad. And then she's like, well, but... Sins of my past. No, not Cap. Back to bad um, stuff. She was a member of the Thunderbolts, and she slowly softened. Oh, I'm over thinking time. of Diamondback, aren't I? Hung You're thinking of Cap. Diamondback. Sorry. Yeah, no, okay. Moonstone. Moonstone has Moonstone pretty much much always been kind of a bad person. Yeah, she was in the Thunderbolts. That's right. I'm giving this a buy it. It was fun. Yeah, it's good. And you know what? You don't have to worry about the Modoc babies if you only read this chapter. So, well, I read all. Know. I read all three of this, the war of the Marvels. Cause it was pretty good. And I was like, what is going on? I want to know why they're fighting. Oh, sure. 
and I didn't know what's up with this Carol thing. Then I was like, what's up with this Carol thing? And then I read the Modoc Babies thing and went, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's fun. Uh, this uh, Sonya, uh, Sana Takeda, it, I'm not a, like a super huge fan. It's like very, very soft, painterly kind of digital art. It's well, just Takeda not really... only did the cover. It was Phil Briones. Did oh, sorry, cover. Phil Briones. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it means uh, same thing applies though. Like the art is the art is the art. It's, it, too it, soft. it's not really my cup of tea. Yeah. But it's also a very like 2006 kind of thing. Like Marvel was big into this sort of. Comics in general, there was a lot of this kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, and it's not like it's bad. It's just, you know, not my fave. It's like they had uh, a new digital coloring tool. And they're like, everybody use this. It's awesome. It's the newest yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, the thing with Catherine Donovan, that's all very confusing if you don't read the whole thing. But again, I mean, all of these, I think, should come with all of these books this week should come with a caveat that, you know, they're not always chosen Sometimes they're chosen in midstream because it's a good example of this character being this character. Yeah, we're just exploring a chapter of their life. And so, like, obviously we would not normally recommend that you check out, you know, chapter three of a storyline like I will be talking about later. But on its own, it is a fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. Uh, I love that. Uh, I loved that Carla wore the original Ms. Marvel outfit, yeah. like the red and blue, uh, you know, which is somehow even more objectifying than the uh, black costume with the lightning bolt because it has the belly thing cut out of it. Well, it also has a back cut out too. So she's like, yeah, she's got I mean, so, out, so I mean, it's just, but it's a classic, you know, I don't know. Hey, um, if you got it, flaunt it, baby. Sure. Yeah, this is a buy it. And, um, you know, I liked Car Carol's characterization, uh, you know, and this was, Carol was on the road. Like the whole point of this book was Carol striving to be the best hero. Yeah, and Carol teaches Moonstone like a lesson in that she has mm -hmm. she's about yeah. to kill her, and Carol kills people. Carol doesn't. She's a soldier. She understands. I can kill folks, but it like stops and goes. You figure your crap out, or yeah. something that's going to happen to you, and you will die. <laughs> it's like wow. Yeah. I mean this this whole run is pretty good. It's you know underrated or or not often remembered, but yeah, check it out. What happened to Brian Reed? Is he still around? I don't know, man. I don't know where he I went. I haven't seen that name for a long time. All right, we've done both of our Captains Marvel. Now it's time to talk about the first of our two mm, mutants Marvel. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you know, you know. We're talking about Fantastic Four 286 from Marvel Comics. It's from 1985. It's written and drawn by John Byrne with inks by Terry Austin. Colors by Glynis Oliver. Letters by John Workman. Here's your solicit. This is uh, also from Marvel.com. Captain America finds a mysterious woman in a pod below Jamaica Bay. Could this young lady be the X-Men's long-lost Marvel girl? Yeah, it is. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. Totally this is. is. That's actually a description for the Avengers issue, which we'll talk about here in a second. 30 issues after the FF and the Avengers tag team battle against Annihilus, Marvel did it again by splitting the surprise return of Jean Grey between the two team books. In Avengers 263, Earth's mightiest heroes find a mysterious mass at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. When the seemingly lifeless object attacks the team, they seek out Mr. Fantastic to help solve the mystery. We soon learn that the object is actually a cocoon containing the very much alive Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, who allegedly died on the moon 
at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga years earlier. But this Jean doesn't remember anything about that. In fact, she doesn't remember anything beyond sacrificing herself to save the X-Men in their 100th issue. Before the end of this issue, we'll hear the convoluted tale of how the Phoenix Force placed Jean in a state of suspended animation to heal her injuries while taking her place in the world of the living. With Jean now restored and her blanks filled in from time spent in the cocoon, there's only one man to call. Warren Worthington III, baby. You're a cocoon expert. Right? Like, you know I thought I was going to say Cyclops. Babes coming out of cocoons? Who do you call? Angel, I obviously. I bet you thought yeah. I was going to say Cyclops. Jean's official return as Marvel Girl continues in X-Factor number one, which we reviewed some time ago. It is even more awkward for Cyclops than you might be imagining. Uh, it's also somehow even wordier than this comic. But as verbose as Burns' script is here, this issue is still a blast to read. And for all the messy cosmic retconning, he manages to convey genuine heartbreak and panic as Gene learns about what happened to her. Okay, quick timeout. I want to do this scene real quick because this is Gene talking. This is how John Byrne thinks Gene talks, recounting what happened, the last thing she remembered. Lang's scheme fell apart like the fragile house of cards it truly was. Once again... The X-Men had triumphed over the forces of bigotry and prejudice, forces that sought to stamp out those of us who are mutants born with special extra powers, sought to obliterate us for no more reason than that we are different. And then, and then, I know something else happened after we beat Lang and his Sentinels, something horrible, something that burst any sense of victory we may have felt popped it like a soap bubble like my god john burn you think I mean, yeah. a 19 year old girl is talking like this it's wordy <laughs> i mean look man it's still the era of soul Jesus pain we still like soul pain in our comics Jesus melodrama it's big Christ. in comics it's, <laughs> that has not changed in 1985 if i'm in that room and i'm reed richards or any of the avengers who know who the x-men are and she's talking about them, like my eyes roll out of my head. <laughs> you know, I something that I appreciate about comics from this era is that we take for granted now that obviously so many of these heroes know each other and have shared adventure after adventure, you know, um, through all the years of intercompany crossovers right, alone. Right. But in 1985, there's been exactly one. Secret Wars. Yeah, and that's why I was like reading this and going like, why the hell doesn't anybody know who Gene is? And why is Gene looking at the FF like, wait a minute, the FF I know wears blue costumes, not black. Right. And I'm looking at it like, going, all these black costumes are highlighted in blue. So what's going on here? Right. <laughs> and like, if, if this were published today, they would all know each other on site for out sure. of costume. No but question. In, it, but back then- you know, even when Gene explains it's some all the stuff about um, Stephen Lang and the uh, and the X Men and the X Sentinels and and all that stuff, Captain America goes, "Oh yeah, Marvel Girl, I heard she died." Yeah, you know, like it's like they they just don't know. Yeah, no, and I get it. I, it's wild. And Hercules, I think by it, the way, it's it's super fun. Tried to have sex with no less than two people, one of which is Gene, who just came out of a cocoon. He's like, <laughs> you, you want to do it or what's up? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. The art by Byrne and his X-Men collaborator, Terry Austin, who is guest inking this book, 
Uh, normally, I think Burn inks himself on this one. Uh, it's flawless. Of course, it's flawless. Yeah. It, it's it's right back. Like they didn't even miss a beat after their run ended in 1981. Fantastic Four 286 is another fun flipbook adventure with the Avengers, and it helps restore the original Marvel girl to the prominence she deserves, or at least it starts to. I'm giving this a buy it. Like this one's wild. It's it's uh, it's weird. Oh, it's crazy to have this issue just pop up all of a sudden. You know, of all places. Avengers and Fantastic Four. Yeah. But like they were making a big push about like X Factor's coming. It's coming soon, X Factor. And then it's like, here it is, the lead into X Factor. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, check out X Factor number one, fools. Stick all the characters all over the place. Of course. I mean, the oldest trick in the book. I I don't know if, is this controversial to say that I think Terry Austin inks John Byrne better than John Byrne inks John Byrne? Yeah. No, it's not. I think that you're absolutely right. This looks incredible. Absolutely. Terry Austin and John Byrne are an incredible pairing. Incredible. And that's not taking anything away from Byrne. Byrne was great at this time too. I love this book. It's look, does it make any sense at all? No. Is it completely bonkers? Absolutely. Is it fantastic? Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) Like you gotta love it. It's also like, (laughs) it's also very much one of what I assume are many examples of John Byrne. Now that he is in charge as the writer Going, well, I didn't like when we did that, so I'm just going to undo it. Fuck yeah. It. Like, I'll be fixing that in my next issue. And then, uh, right, yeah, what, do you, exactly, what do you mean? Exactly like, right. Oh, fixing don't worry. It. I'll get you the dailies as soon as I'm done with that. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. W- w- what uh, are you fixing? Never, exactly? you, uh, never you mind. Never you mind, uh, Jim Shooter. I got this. Yeah. Then he slams his door so hard that the pages blow off some poor inker's desk or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Don't you know you can't come into a man's office unannounced and undressed? Get out! Get out! Before I have you arrested for indecent exposure. Continuing our Marvel Girl coverage, let's talk about Uncanny X-Men number 468 from Marvel 2006, cover and art by a very horny Chris Boccolo, written by Chris Claremont, with inks by... Buckle up. Jamie Mendoza, Victor Olazaba, Sean Parsons, Norm Rapman, Tim Townsend, and... Alve. <laughs> Why? Um, only one of those people is known for inking Chris Bacalo, and uh, you can tell which pages he inks. It's crazy. It, it, this, I picture Chris Bacalo like, no, you're fired. Next. No, you're fired too. <laughs> yeah, Next. I don't know why they did it. <laughs> it's nuts. Letters by VC's Joe Caramanga, baby. Here is your solicit. I also wrote this one. A group of Shire death commandos are sent to wipe out the Gray family genome but not Cable for some reason. Just after Rachel Gray reconnected with her recently deceased mom's family, in the wake of Jean's death, Rachel has taken her mom's old code name, Marvel Girl, but all her powers aren't enough to stop the slaughter of her new family. Now it's time for Marvel Girl to get her revenge or realize she's too dangerous to have a family. Hmm. I don't remember reading any of this Claremont volume but it has all the dramatic hallmarks of his famous X stuff. Rachel has a new family that I think is introduced just so we can see them get slaughtered. The shy- No, I think that uh, Jean's, at least Jean's parents. I know Jean's parents, I agree. Previously existed. Jean's parents were around, but I don't remember but like Jean the extended family you having this sprawling family. And then they're like, let's get like them all Jean's together. Jean's uncle Carl, right, was for, never a plot Let's get them together for a family get together just so they could all get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Like I mentioned, all the dramatic hallmarks of a Claremont book. Rachel has a new family. 
the Cheyenne show up. Of course, there are super short skirts, and poor Psylocke doesn't even get to wear clothes because the X-Men were in too big of a hurry to come help Rachel for Betsy to put on pants. Not even, like, she didn't even, she could at least just like, can I slip on some pants? Nope, let's go, Bets. <laughs> and we like, take five, just like pause, time out. I you know? love no. Chris Bacalo, and he is great here, drawing detailed, bulky, and bizarre Shire commandos with weird bird armor, of course, and huge weapons. He gets very clever, covering up Betsy's nudity and does a great job with Rachel's battle scenes, but never draws her particularly upset with the death of her new family. Like, she's mad, but sort of mad like, oh, you fucked up. Not like, oh my God, you just slaughtered this family only because I'm here, (laughs) you know? This Rachel was cool. I didn't love the yellow and green two-piece uniform with an impossibly short skirt. And who fights in a skirt, by the way? And the Cheyenne branding her with a full Phoenix back tattoo seems a little on the nose when they were going to kill her anyway. Right? But that doesn't all happen in this issue, right? Yes. The, the branding issue came earlier, didn't it? The branding it? issue was one, was the previous issue. The last thing we right, saw right. was a brander. So it didn't happen in this issue, though. No, but I'm saying like they branded her and then they're like, okay, kill her. Nope, that goes wrong. <laughs> well, sure. But Marvel Girl doesn't work as a code name. I'm saying it. Unless you're a little kid. It worked for Jean in the 60s, but in the early 2000s, it's silly. And if she is a kid, stop drawing her in her panties, Chris. I am giving this a skim it. And you're absolutely right. The multiple inkers are so obvious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to know what happened. Why do you have this many inkers on one book? This is just a regular issue, by the way. This isn't like, oh, it was a 48 page or 56 page giant. So we had to get a few people to help fit. No, this is like 26 pages of story. You know, the, this era of Claremont is not, look, it's not great. No, it's like, not I'm, great. I'm just coming out, right? I'm just coming right out and saying it. Like, it's full of Claremont trying to recapture yes. his glory the, days. The, the beats are there, but there's no soul. Yeah, yeah, right. And, like, I don't mean to slight him as uh, as a writer. Like, the dude has earned his his props. But 2000 and whatever this is, uh, Chris Claremont is is not the same as 1978. Chris Claremont or 1985 Chris Claremont or 1991 Chris Claremont. It suffers through overcomplicated plots and like ridiculous offshoots of characters. Like does anybody give a shit about the Shi'ar death commandos when we already had the Imperial guard? I say, no, Uh, they're forgettable. One of them is a cloud. Like the characters are just like basically identity, identity less. They're blank slates. And, like, there are also some things like Rachel's new outfit is a costume that her mom designed but never got to wear. You mean to tell me that Jean Grey was going to wear that? I don't buy it. Yeah, no. I don't think that Jean Grey uh, it would have put that costume on. No. Um, but, I mean, whatever. It's a skimmit. Chris Bacalo is, of course, a wonderful artist. Uh the presence of all of the other inkers does lower the quality of yeah. the book. Tim Townsend, unfortunately, couldn't ink the whole thing. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, probably a deadline issue. But um, but yeah, it's 
It's a little bit rough. It's a skim. It. It it's just, just skim. It. This is a really weird time for Rachel too. Like this Marvel girl shit. It just didn't work for her character. It felt like Claremont was forcing this big time to try and like make her more sympathetic or something or make us relate to her a little more. And you just, you didn't need to do that. Her relationship with Kitty was like good enough that I was like, yeah, I love it. She's Kitty's best friend. They love each other. They're great. You know, like I didn't need all this other stuff and like, Jean is my mom and I'm going to dress like her and my family's dead. Like, okay. All right. You already came from a future yeah. that was tragic enough. This isn't like, I, the problem was not, oh, it hurt. She hasn't had enough tragedy. That's why I don't like her. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. This uh, was Claremont doing it just to do it. That's what it felt like. Separately. Uh, uh, now, hold on. I'm not saying the tragedy was necessary in order for people to like Rachel. Like I already liked Rachel. I like Rachel as a character. Lots of people like Rachel sure, as a character. Sure. She was a member of the X-Men for a long time. And I do think that like on paper, the idea that the Shi'ar would say the entire gray bloodline is too dangerous to live because I don't have a problem magnets for the Phoenix force. Yeah, I agree. How come not cable? Right. Somehow they (laughs) missed cable. (laughs) How come not cable? Yeah. And like, not everybody knows. Why are they not trying to kill Scott? Like the son of a clone of Scott made Rachel. Maybe he's kind of guilty of this stuff too. How come they're not trying to kill him? No, no, it's Jean Grey. It's all the grays. It's all the grays. These bitches, man. Don't get me started. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we're right. Uh, I don't know. Um, I also liked the, I liked the idea that Rachel, who was often depicted as being kind of outside the whole family thing because she is from the future and also from like an alternate timeline. So her mom, like Jean Grey was never actually her mom, blah, blah, blah. It's complicated. Um, I liked the idea that, that she was eventually able to embrace and be embraced by Jean's family. It's just a shame that the two things kind of like got smashed together at the same time. She's embraced by the family for three issues before grandma. That's what I'm saying. Like, I wish we had gotten more time with Rachel being a full-fledged member of the Gray family instead of like having it happen right before they get disintegrated by cosmic bird Not just that. Grandma gets to look at her and say, I wish you were never born. I wish... I hate you. Yeah. I can't believe what's happened to my family. I wish my beautiful yeah. baby girl, Jean, your mom was also never born. And then dude lasers grandma in the face. It kills her too. <laughs> like, yeah. Chris, it's, it's, come on, man. <laughs> you know? It's bad. Yeah, it's, right. I mean, it's rough. They it's like, and here is your childhood pet. And they stick it in a blender. You're like, ah, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, Matt, I know I said that we had made it through the Captain's Marvel portion of the program, but I lied. We got one more Captain Marvel to talk about here. I mean, we just took a break to talk about some mutants, that's all. Yeah, I mean, they're all over the place. This is Captain Marvel Volume 5, number 17 from Marvel. The year is 2003. It's written by Peter David with art by Paul Azaceda. Colors by Chris Sotomayor. Letters by... VC's Corey Pettit, even in aught three, VC was still representing that cover by Scott Collins. He's like, you credit me, I'm always VC. Like it spans through time. He's like Kang, you know, <laughs> like he's always yeah, but VC, there. but VC, <laughs> yeah, but VC's is not is not Corey Pettit's company. Here's your solicit. This I 
who knows? I think I got this again from Marvel.com. They came through for the most part this week. Oh, no, no. This is from Diamond. This is the actual solicit that was in previews. Crazy like a fox. Part three of four. The debut of the new Captain Marvel. Slow There's down. a new sheriff in town <laughs> and man, is she pissed. Marv goes home to Titan and finds a ghost town. And the new Captain Marvel is ready to take his mantle, whether he wants to give it up or not. The series changes right here. I was a huge fan of Peter David's Captain Marvel. Huge. The series, which went through a relaunch and struggled to make it to a total of 60 issues, which also was a critical favorite, starred Marvel's genetically engineered son, Genus. It also starred Rick Jones and his wife, Marlo, who David brought over from his lengthy run on The Incredible Hulk. To say that there was a lot going on would be an understatement, and that was doubly so after the book was relaunched. So I'm not even really going to try to get into details with my recap here, except that I'll say, at this point, Genus has gone crazy. There's a cosmic deity messing with his mind, or maybe messing with his mind, maybe it's he's imagining it, we don't know. And the sister that he didn't even remember that he had has now come to claim the mantle of Captain Marvel from her insane brother. Oh, and Marlo thought she might be a lesbian now and left Rick for Moondragon. Yeah, that happened That happened several times. <laughs> like I said, it's a lot. It's a lot. Upon revisiting the issue for this episode, I found that the complexity of the story didn't seem like a great fit for Marvel's writing for the trade era. This was 2003. We were firmly in Ultimate Spider-Man territory. We were getting six issues of comic books with maybe two to three issues of plot. Yeah. We were, it was called Decompressed. Oh, was it and Decompressed? <laughs> boy, dude, did it annoy us. And so for Peter David to come in and have his typical cadence and pace and writing style uh, in a series that's definitely kind of mandated to be told in six issue chunks. It didn't always work. No, this was so decompressed. I had to like pop my ears while I read it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> like, Whoa, <laughs> David is a writer known for long simmering subplots and constant callbacks and in jokes, picking up a random issue of captain Marvel from a time when the book was constantly fighting to keep from being canceled. Doesn't make for a very satisfying experience, but it's also not fair to really judge this issue by that metric, considering the only reason why I chose it was because of the first full appearance of Phyla Vell. Uh, nowadays, we know her as Quasar. I think she's still Quasar, right? I think she's still Quasar. When she's around? Yeah. I think she's still Quasar. She, if she's even alive, I think she's She got Quasar. sucked into another reality, and Moondragon's still yeah. real upset about it. Right. After Marlo left, she started dating, you know. Phyla. It's a whole yeah, thing, yeah. I mean, so. right. Yeah. Uh, Marlo, Marlo started feeling much better. Yeah. Marlo, Marlo was just sort of dabbling, you know. <laughs> no, they, they literally, they did, they literally did reveal in the final issue that Marlo's like turn towards the ladies was that cosmic entity just fucking with Rick. And Jones. you know what? Like, if I'm a lesbian, that shit pisses Pro me off. All right. Problematic. <laughs> it's problem. It's yeah. problematic for sure. And it makes me think that Peter David was told by Marvel to kind of put that 
toy back in the box. Maybe. You know what and I mean? that could be. But like with, unring as, that bell. With a, uh, a dude uh, with a lot of lesbian friends, this shit happens and it pisses lesbians off. All right. You girls, yeah. you think about it before you decide you're gonna do this. Yep. Because these you're lesbians, right. yeah. they're fucking serious. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, now, Philae is a far cry from the cosmic hero she would become in a post-annihilation Marvel universe. Like I said, she becomes Quasar, and she is a cosmic badass. Here, she seems more concerned with getting one over on her shitty brother. And for someone that wants to claim the role of Captain Marvel, she doesn't seem like she'd be too good at the job. I've been a Peter David fan for most of my life, so it pains me to say that I found his overly clever dialogue in this issue to be kind of grating especially how everyone speaks like an entitled millennial earthling. Now, Matt, uh, now Joe, my name is Joe. Now, Joe, you might be saying to yourself, it was the new millennium. To which I would respond, there's only one earthling in this entire comic, and it's Rick Jones. Yeah, we're He's in, an old man. He was introduced in the 60s. We're in goddamn space. Can you imagine if Dune read like everybody was like in the 60s and they're- Yeah, right. Know, like, what if Paul Atreides <laughs> was like, whatever, man. Whatevs. <laughs> yeah. Whatevs. Let's cheese it out of here before the cops yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. The art. Now, this is where Matt and I are probably going to have a fight. I don't like this. The art with Chris Sotomayor's color art applied directly to Paul as Asita's pencils is mostly beautiful. However, as Asita's figures tend to look a bit posed and stiff, especially once the action ramps up. That's all. I, I agree. It's mm. It's got problems. There's weird faces. There's weird poses. There's weird coloring. It's, it's, there's weird like it's marker awkward. stuff. Like Marvel at this time had, you know, like a body that just like looked like space. It had stars in it and stuff. And I yeah, really like cosmic that. awareness running yeah. overtime. So cool. I love it. But when you have weird little marker strokes in it, like, what are you doing? You're like, take, you're just taking me out of it at that. Point. See, I actually kind of like that. You can see the mic. I don't marker like strokes. It. Like, I as don't like, it. like you could see the brush strokes in, in painted color. Like I like it, but that's only one complaint. Um, as There's a, so many like yeah. faceless characters. There's panels I'm looking at where a character doesn't have an eye for some reason. Like it's not finished. Like this, I don't think this is good. All right. All right. Let me wrap up and then you can have your piece. Captain Marvel volume five. Number 17 falls toward the end of a run of comics that I really loved at the time, but it is definitely a relic of the early 2000s that doesn't hold up so well on its own two decades later. I'm going to give this a skimmit. Okay, I'm giving it a skimmit as well because I know I love this series, but I also think I need to revisit this series to see does it hold up or do I just have these fond memories of it because quite honestly, I never gave a shit about these characters until I read Peter David's Captain Marvel. And I think it was either you or Big Mike that stuck, or maybe Aura, that stuck into my hands. It was like, you have to read this. Yeah. I know you don't care. And I fell in love with it. I love Genus. But I don't know if it holds up. Maybe it's a mess. I, and I wonder, like, if I had if I had started a reread and started from the first issue of the first volume. That's like, exactly the, what I was thinking. Of the earlier launch from 2000 and whatever. Would I, and then gotten up to this point organically reading it through, would I be like, yep, I'm still on board. I, I don't but you know. know. What? I'm thinking back now and I remember not being thrilled about the whole. Cap goes crazy kind of thing. Yeah, I like, think this I don't, is- I remember not being thrilled about that. I think this is a point in the series where it started to lose me, and then it did lose me, 
not too long after this. And I went, okay, I had my fun. I'm done. But yeah, this is taken out of context. It's impenetrable. Absolutely impenetrable. But that's not what we're doing here. We're doing an exercise in who is this character. And I love this character. I love Phyla Vell. But I think everything I love about Phyla Vell. But she's not that character here. She's not. That's not this character. That character came later in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's the character that I love. So I don't know. I might have to revisit this. I'm giving it a skim it. But I may have to yeah. revisit this to see if it holds up. I don't and, know if I could suggest know, this to people. <laughs> you know? For added context, I talked about how the, the comic constantly struggled to keep from being canceled. And there was this like fake feud that Marvel publicized between Peter David and uh, Mark Wade and uh, Bill Jemis, the publisher of Marvel. And I think it was all Bill Jemis's idea. Oh yeah, it was all yeah. showmanship. It and was the other all Stanley like, style okay, hucksterism. Whatever. Except Bill Jemis wasn't as good at it. No. Um, but I mean, you know, credit where it's due. It, obviously, they were trying something, and so they came up with this promotion where um, it was called "You Decide." You hyphen decide, and it was it was going to be like uh, the fans would vote with their dollars or with their online votes and whatever. Which is kind of how every comic book works, but okay. Well, Bill. I, mean, I think they also <laughs> online voted. Yeah. And, and so like, because like Jemis was saying stuff like we're going to fire Mark Wade, we're firing Mark Wade. I think that's real though. I think they did actually fire Mark Wade and Mike were going to go off of fantastic four. And then there was such an outcry that they came back. Yeah. Like before, before, like the blood on the corpse had dried. They were like, okay, come back. I'm sorry. Come back. Yeah. But there was this promotion where, um, they were going to kind of put the, put these comics head to head and, and the fans were going to vote. And the one that got the most votes would get to live. And so like they relaunched Captain Marvel. They came up with this crazy new angle and he's wearing the old Kree cost, the Kree yeah. soldier costume. It's a wild departure from the version we got before this. Yeah, the ver- Okay. The volume before this loved it. Gold is wonderful. Yeah. And, and reading that, uh, reading this on its own separate from separated from that stuff that I loved from before. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough to go back to. No. Our final Marvel lady had to be Kamala Khan. It's it's Miss Marvel volume three, number 17 from Marvel from 2014 covered by Chris Anka art by Adrian Alfona written by G Willow Wilson with letters by VCs, Joe Carmagna. I mean, this guy's been around forever. Doing it all. Yeah, man. Joe Caramagna has been around for a really long time. Here's your solicit. Again, I wrote this because I, my side gig, is going to be writing solicits for comics. I'm going to be the first famous comic book solicit writer, okay? But you know that you, you could have gone first. online and gotten this solicit. It's not that old. It's not the point. Because I'm trying to reset it for what, for the purposes that I need for the show. And I okay, work this sure. hard for the kids, Joe. I do it for the kids. Okay, sure. Okay. All right, sure. And here is your solicit. Kamala finds herself teaming up with her hero, Captain Marvel, to find her brother, who had been kidnapped by her evil ex-boyfriend. Whoops. Meanwhile, another planet is approaching the Earth. It's not only a loose Secret Wars tie-in, but the first Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel team-up, too. That's a great solicit. Come on. Captain Carol. Yeah. Captain Carol. To be clear. Yeah. Yeah, it's all... We're all... We're well, all up in our incursions. It's well, it's Secret Wars time. Yeah, we are firmly in Secret Wars. I didn't read much of this first Kamala series, but Wilson's script is hard to resist. She's excellent. 
making you believe that Kamala is that same plucky kid from the TV show that we just all really enjoyed, except for a few of you fucking trolls shut your mouth through a bunch of assholes. That just happens to be a Muslim without constantly reminding the reader that they're a Muslim. Her Carol balances out the bubbly Kamala with her tough demeanor and their chemistry together is excellent. Kamala fangirls out just enough for Carol to tell her to knock it off and get her head in the game. There's a <laughs> real heart to the script, too. We get this scene where Kamala, she's desperate to find her brother. And people are freaking out and they're running through the streets because Secret Wars is happening. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. Kamala stops some punk electricians from stealing, like, copper wire and through Carol convinces them to go help the local evacuation center set up their Wi-Fi. And then right after that, she's distracted again when they bust into this apartment and they find a litter of kittens that were left behind and there's food and there's water. And Kamala's like, Oh, somebody like was scared, had to get out of here, but they realized they couldn't take the kittens. I mean, they obviously care. So they left them all this food and water. And she's like, we got to save them. And Captain Marvel has to stop and just go, Hey kid, we're looking for your brother. And I know this sucks and it seems like a decision, but these are the decisions that heroes have to make. We cannot save everybody. And she's like, I appreciate that you want to. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's good. But you've got to focus. And it's just this purely Carol moment where it's like Kamala's holding a kitty and kissing it. She's like, we have to save them. (laughs) And I totally, I was like, oh, save the kitties, Kamala, save them. You know, but like there's a bigger thing going on here. It's a, it's like a borderline perfect superhero moment. It's his choice that Kamala has to make. And Carol helps her understand, look, you just can't save everybody, but that doesn't mean you also don't try. Alfona's art is almost kind of like children's book cartoony here, but it's excellent. He's fantastic, accentuating like Kamala's facial expressions with a touch of her stretchy powers. When she's freaking out, her mouth gets real big. And like when she's happy, she smiles huge and stuff. Kamala has fully sort of accepted her stretching powers at this point. And she's getting really good at it and she's proud of them. But like, unlike Reed, she's not just making big boxing gloves. She's a cartoon character because she's a kid. She's bubbly and she's crazy and it's adorable. I love the scenes of her with her big long legs as she's like running across buildings and Carol's flying next to her. (laughs) I need to read more Kamala because I really like this character with that said. I am also so glad that she is done with this inhuman garbage that they were trying to shovel on us at the time. I'm giving this a huge buy it, but man, the inhuman shit, it's not Kamala's fault that she got sort of like pushed into that. And Charles Soule was sort of like the architect behind it. They're like, all right, Chuck. The Inhumans are yours. And he's like, all right, the Inhumans are everywhere. They're all, they're all over the place. They're going to be like mutants. They're the new X-Men. They're the Inhumans. Like, no, I don't want to relate to the Inhumans. The Inhumans should be weirdos. The Inhumans should be a royal family. I mean, it's in their name. That I don't understand. They're totally bizarre. There's not that many of them. When they show up, it's scary. I don't want to relate to an Inhuman. <laughs> you know? <laughs> nice try, but don't do it. <laughs> so this might be controversial, but... Again, on paper, I don't so much mind the story point that in order to prevent Thanos from taking Attilan or Adelan, he blows it up. 
releasing all of the Terrigen mists contained within and that, and they slowly circle the globe. Sure. Like, I have no problem. I have no problems with that That's as a story a point. Perfectly good story. I'm in. And as a, as a, as a, like a quick, you know, shorthand for like why there's new characters popping up all over the place. DC did the exact same thing sure. in the eighties after invasion. Yeah. The, the, in the dominators blew up a nega bomb. Yeah. You made me read that crap. And, or a metagene <laughs> bomb. Yeah. The, the dominators blew up a metagene bomb and instead of killing everybody, it triggered a bunch of metagenes into the people on earth. Yeah. And we we like, agreed. Yeah. The dominators had the worst plan ever. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, bloodlines, same thing. It's just like thing happened and yeah. now there's a bunch of characters with powers and they don't always like do the right thing with them. And, yeah. and you know, whatever. Um, so as a plot point, like I liked that moment in infinity Hickman's infinity uh, crossover event where black bolt shouts at the top of his lungs and blows up the city. So Thanos can't get it. Cool as hell. Like that's, that's rad. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm fine with that being Kamala's origin, but Marvel was definitely also doing it as part of this, like, Screw 20th Century Fox. Yeah. We're not going to promote the X-Men. We're going to make our own version of the X-Men yeah. more popular kind of thing. That's why the Fantastic Four books at that around that time kind of took a dip and went away and came back kind of different. You win some, you lose some. The, well, the real but world politique got into our comics. The real world politique and it's got like, in the way guys, of what could have been a pretty fun story. I am a mark. I want to be a mark. I want to love the kayfabe. I want to have fun with yeah. this and read my comics. Don't make me sit down and go, oh, I see we're warring with Sony again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> or and, Fox or, right. you know, whoever. And so I will say, like, for her part in all of this, like, Kamala's comic yeah, she meets the Inhumans, but she never goes to live with them. You know, no, she stays in no. Jersey City. Like Kamala might as well have been a mutant the entire time. Right. Aside from one line in I'm this saying. when she was like, but what about, you know, what about the Avengers? What about Queen Medusa? And I just went, ugh, bah, ugh. I mean, come on. Ah. But, <laughs> I was like, yuck. Uh, <laughs> like I felt but fine I when like, she yelled about Captain America. I like the Queen Medusa coming out of her mouth. Like, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, she maybe she thought Queen Medusa could help, but anyway, with her hair, Joe, what's her hair? Yeah, Matt, with her hair. <laughs> also, this this last day's storyline, like I know that this issue is definitely Carol working with Kamala to find the brother, but the storyline in general is also an excellent exercise uh, in showing that like not every character has any business being on the front lines when the Avengers fight the Beyonder or oh, whoever. Oh, yeah, definitely. And sometimes all a character can do is help set up a community center so all the displaced people in their neighborhood have a place to go when disaster strikes. Right, and that's fine. And, and Carol like and even says that great. to her. It's great. She's even. like, look, kid, you're in Jersey City. We're not in, D We're not in D.C. We're not even in New York. It's you. So you got to be the person. Let's go. You know? And right. Like, yes. And bad that, ass. That, that is so, so well done. <laughs> G Willow Wilson's entire run is so special. And Adrian Alfona drew most of it. Uh, he drew the beginning and he drew the end. I, I think he drew most of it, not all of it, but it's so great. It's so, so great. This issue is wonderful. It's a huge buy it. It's a great character study of, of Kamala and how she relates to Carol totally and, agree. and Carol guiding her. It's wonderful. 
The Cosmic Longbox seems pleased with our Lady Marvel's research, but before it decides if we live to see another day, we have to name one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection. And which of these badass women were the most marvelous? Matt, let's hear it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned to you, and I don't know if you even knew, the Cosmic Longbox will kill us if we do a bad job. I kind of kept that quiet because I just I know how you get, so... Mm. Now it's uh, out I there. Mean, I think th- I, I understand. I know. I believe that you believe the cosmic long box will kill you. Oh, the cosmic long box and I have an understanding. Oh, Joe Patrick. Oh, buddy. Oh, if only you knew. So this is tough because we read a lot of really good stuff. I think if I have to pick one based on the character at the time, I'm going to go with Avengers 233 because it. If you think about like the year this came out, this is like the 80s. And you have early this 80s. Yeah, early 80s. And you have this completely badass female black character that comes in and saves not only the fucking Avengers, but New York, too. You know, the, and, wor- the universe actually. Yep, kind of. Yeah, uh, yes. Because if the, the, if they didn't stop it, it was going gonna, on and it was going to destroy the universe. Yeah. And it's yeah. just kind of amazing that they had like the foresight and like. The liberal ideas to even pull something like that off at the time, you know, it's the comic book has some problems and it's kind of silly, but it's rad. And I think Monica Rambeau has been better respected than Carol. When we look at like what happened in issue 25 that never came out and Carol was just like an afterthought who basically got mind raped off plant, you know, off panel by Rogue. And, like, it was never printed, and, like, they pulled her out of the water, and like, ah, she's all messed up. Let's take her to the X-Men, where she can become a whole different character. You know, they did Carol pretty dirty. Monica seems like she was always really respected. I can't even go as far as to pick Monica as my most marvelous as well, because she's just always been a badass and completely respected. It's not Carol's fault. Marvel did Carol dirty. Full on. I mean, look, Monica's fault. been through some stuff as well. I'm not saying she hasn't, but you want to talk about like some of the stuff Miss Marvel went through real quick with like Kang Sun and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, you know? Know, look, I know. Uh, so I think for the selections we chose, um, I agree that Monica gets my vote because that this was my favorite issue of the bunch. It's I already said it. It's one of my favorite comics of all it's time. It's just great. It it's a tough great to great adventure. It was comic. tough to beat in my in my mind, and I don't think it's fair uh, to categorize your hatred of Vision and the Scarlet Witch as problems. The issue doesn't really have problems. It, the they issue are is problems. pretty pretty flawless. They are. I, look, hey, I'm saying the issue is so good. That despite that problem, I'm putting uh, it in the permanent okay. collection. All right. All right? Um, the Kamala issue is wonderful. It it's is. wonderful. It is. No doubt about it. And Kamala is a great character. Um, I just refuse to give a loose. This comes at the end of her series. I can't give a loose tie-in like into the permanent collection. I can't fucking do it. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, th- And also, this comes no. at the end of her first <laughs> ongoing and so, really, if we were doing the first issue of Captain Marvel, we'd be talking about a different. We'd be having a different conversation. But we reviewed that when it came out. Sure, uh, and we know, loved it years ago. We loved it. So, yeah, I think that Monica is the most marvelous of all the Marvels we chose for this week. And Avengers two thirty three gets my pick. Yeah, I love Carol. Don't get me wrong. I just think Marvel has done her really dirty, and it's only in like the past ten years they've decided 
Can we please? I mean, ten years is a long time, man. That's I'm, a decade. I'm, yeah, but when she's been around for as long as she has, that's a whole three, two thirds of her life where they kicked her around. Okay, <laughs> we're just now starting to respect her as a real character, as the badass that she is. So, Again, and I'm glad that's not. And I like that's it. That's not accurate. They didn't kick her around the entire first two thirds of her life. If you say so. Pal. I mean, but she did go through some rough times. Yeah. They made her an alcoholic. Yes. They made her have a baby with Kang's kid she forgot about. They let Rogue kick her ass off panel. <laughs> okay? Think about that. I mean, that was really nobody's <laughs> fault, but... Now that we've proven we're no friend of the patriarchy, let's head up to Teach and Sanctum Sanctorum, where we can decompress with some super macho 80s action films and talk about our must-read picks for next Wednesday, November 22nd. We got to balance it out. We got to balance it out, okay? So I'll dig out our Rambo part one and two video discs while you get us started, Joe Patrick. Totally fair. I'm feeling more macho already. My pick for next week is Holy Roller number one from Image Comics. It's written by Andy Samberg. Yes, that Andy Samberg. Rick Remender and Joe Troman. Yes, uh, that Joe Troman. <laughs> who, you know, you know, some of you know who he is. I don't. I, you know, I'm sure his mother loves him very much. Sure. The art is by Roland Bashi. It's 42 story pages for $3.99. I don't know how many actual pages with like house ads and stuff, but 42 full story pages. I like it when you word it like that. 42 story pages, not just like 32 pages of action with six pages of ads. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, certainly there are some ads for image projects and back matter, but story pages, 42 of them, baby. Here's your solicit series premiere. Thanks, Thank image. You, image. Everyone was sitting around wondering when comedy legend Andy Samberg from SNL and Palm Springs would join superstar writer Rick Remender from Deadly Class and Low and Fallout Boy's multi-talented Joe Troman, parentheses Fallout Boy, to write a comic book about a vigilante hero who smashes people's faces with a bowling ball and everyone's dreams have come true. This is Andy Samberg wrote this, right? <laughs> this I mean, has got to be Samberg, right? With <laughs> art by the fan favorite Roland Boshi, who drew the scumbag and Wolverine. To care for his ailing father, pro bowler Levi Cohen is forced to quit his dream job and return to his hometown, which he soon discovers has been overrun by neo-Nazis. With only his bowling ball collection to defend himself, Levi becomes the Holy Roller a trick bowling ball wielding Jewish superhero battling to liberate his home and bowl a perfect game against crime. That ain't easy. Kingpin meets inglorious bastards meets Batman. Yeah, that old chestnut (laughs) with equal parts action and humor in this special introductory issue with 42 full pages of story, two issues for the price of one, three writers for the price of one. Same great low price. Andy What's Samberg, not the love about that? Samberg wrote this. There's no I could hear him saying it. <laughs> so good. Nah, nah I, I kind of doubt that. I bet he did. That okay, that's the best solicit I've ever read. That was great. <laughs> no, it's not. That's Come great. On. It's great. It's a very good solicit. That's true. But yeah, I've been excited about this one for a while. I love Andy Samberg. I think he's super smart and very, very funny. Um, I don't know anything about Fallout Boy. I have nothing against Joe Troman. His presence here is irrelevant to me. Hey, Fallout Boy's uh, got I some hits. I also love Rick Remender. They've got, they've got and some I hits. love Roland Boshi. Look, I know they have hits. I'm just saying that I'm not a fan. I could not name one Fallout Boy song. Not one. Yeah, you can. And if you I heard really it, can. you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that Fallout Boy song. Name one. Name their most famous song. Um, I don't know the title of it, but 
See, you can't either. I, I look. My point stands. I'm a fucking music snob. You know that. You listen to garbage. You listen to okay, what the Matt, masses. Love. I'm not saying they don't have hits. I have just never really listened to Fallout Boy. That's. I stopped. I stopped listening to popular music long before Fallout Boy came on the scene. So, but three out of four, man. I'm a fan of three out of four, and I have nothing against Joe. Oh so no, we talked about it. Remember me. For centuries. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that song. You know that piece of shit song. Come on. I really don't. Yeah. And I it's not the fall. I don't. I wasn't thinking of Fallout Boy. I was thinking of somebody else actually like these guys. Yeah, see, you're this bad band at this. Is, this band like, is I've terrible. Never had to, <laughs> I've never had to prove that I don't know something. This before. band is like, terrible. I, I forgot. You can't prove a negative. I honestly thought they were somebody else. <laughs> oh my God. Will you please give us your pick of the week? My Can pick of the end, week please. is Batman Off World number one. It's from DC. It's 32 pages for $3.99 by Jason Aaron with art by Doug Mankey. Here's your solicit. Superstar writer Jason Aaron teams up with blockbuster artist Doug Mankey for the fight of the Dark Knight's life. I don't know why that last part is not capitalized. Why did they capitalize the last four words? I, I don't Five know. Words. A routine night in Gotham City for a young Batman proves to be anything but routine when the crime fighter is confronted with a sort of foe he's never faced before. One from beyond the stars. A, uni- a universe of possible alien threats leads Batman to make a daring decision. To venture alone into the far reaches of the cosmos for the very first time. Where the Dark Knight will face the fight of his life. Superstar writer Jason Aaron delivers his first Batman story ever. Really? This is his first Batman story ever? No shit? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I thought there was another one. Partnered with artist Doug Mankey for a unique, brutal tale. Okay, so- Remember, like, we we debated the whole thing, the whole part of the announcement that was, like, Jason Aaron's first DC work, but it's not. It's his first DC work since 2000 and- It's his like first nine. Batman work, but he did some DC stuff. He worked, he worked on a Joker's Asylum yes. one-shot, which okay. was about a villain, okay. not about Batman. And gotcha. so, yeah, this is his first Batman story. So- Take Jason Aaron out of it and just say the word Doug Mankey, and I'm on board because Doug Mankey Doug is Mankey, one Batman, of yeah, my sure. favorite artists. If you follow this dude on Instagram, he does a bunch of animation stuff. They're that so good. That is completely awesome as well. <laughs> it's like Frankenstein pumping iron yeah, and shredding crazy. on the guitar. Well, and, and there's a whole like thing that. where like Batman was pumping iron against all his nemeses, and it was all, him and yeah. Bane kept going back like and Bane, forth. Bane, right? Yeah. Who could lift the most? It was <laughs> great. They're, they're, they're so good. But Jason Aaron, I got to see what this guy can do with Batman. I'm curious. And this is a flat flashback so i mean we know batman's not gonna die but i mean we knew batman wasn't gonna die anyway so come on Uh, i'm in let's see what we got me too the thn trade for next week is black science 10th anniversary edition deluxe hardcover volume one from image comics speaking of rick remender this is written by rick remender with art by mateo scalera it's 432 pages for 49.99 what a freaking steal come on here's your solicit First printing, limited to 6,000 copies. Grant McKay, former member of the Anarchist Order of Scientists, has finally done the impossible. He has deciphered black science and punched through the barriers of reality. But what lies beyond the veil is not epiphany, but chaos. Now Grant and his team are lost, living ghosts shipwrecked on an infinite ocean of alien worlds, barreling through the long-forgotten ancient and unimaginable dark realms. The only way is forward. The only question is how far are they willing to go and how much can they endure to get home again? 
celebrating 10 years of the critically acclaimed sci-fi series by powerhouse creative duo Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera. This anniversary edition is crammed with sketches, concept art, and other rare goodies in a glorious oversized 8x12 hardcover and features an all-new cover by Scalera. This collects Black Science 1 through 16. Black Science getting the deluxe uh, hardcover treatment. Black Science is amazing. Pretty cool. In Black Science, it's one of those comics that, quite honestly, is hard to read because it is so intense. It sort of reminds me of like uh, the sci-fi Battlestar Galactica, you know, when they did the the second series and they and they updated it. And every episode, you were like, "Oh my god, there! This is over. There, everyone is toast. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. they're yeah. so screwed. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like don't get attached to anybody because anyone can be killed at any time. It is Remender going completely insane. It is some of the most beautiful Mateo Scalera art you will ever see." And I can't remember who I was just talking about it on our Discord with, but we were talking about, you know, omnibus and tomes. And they're like, ah, I don't like them. They're unwieldy, whatever. And I was like, screw you, dude. They're the coolest. And <laughs> this is a big, sexy hardcover. I've already this pre-ordered really mine. This isn't really an omnibus so much, though, I don't think. I mean, it's not, but it is 432 pages. It's so yeah, it's, it's going to be a big, thick puppy. And I'm super excited. God, a beefy I lo- boy, as we say. I love this series. If you've never read Rick Remender, this is an excellent one to pick up. And if you've never seen Mateo Scalera, shame on you. That dude is stupid talented. Go get it's this. Beefy, beefy. If you also want to be a big beefy boy, be sure to pre-order these comics so you can read along with us and tune in next week to hear our reviews of these picks. Beefy, beefy. Excelsior. That is it for THN 722. Next time, we are back reviewing new comics and we're going to give you a taste of our Patreon Extra. If you can't get enough of that marvelous THN stuff, join us for the THN Cover to Cover Gang Hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. Check our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else do nerds do when they are at our Discord? You know, Matt, we always love to see your new comics haul every week, or perhaps you are waiting with bated breath to see if Billy and Mary Marvel are still twins. I know I am. Still waiting. (laughs) Or maybe you just want to discuss our question of the week. Uh, You know what? There's a lot of great uh, Madam Web trailer discourse going on right now as well. This week's question is courtesy of Frank Cirillo. What non-comic book media introduced you to a superhero before you ever saw them in comics? For Frank, it was the 1967 Spider-Man cartoon and the Daily News comic strip that he used to read at his grandparents' house. Great question. So what introduced you to a superhero before you ever saw them in comic book form? Man, I, I'm, I, I still don't have an answer. It's a great question, and it's a lot easier to answer than you think. Like, you you telling me you read a Hulk, Hulk comic before you saw the Hulk TV show in the Probably. 70s? I don't know. I'll bet I did. I, I'm not sure. But it's something sure. like that, right? Yeah. Like, maybe right. you caught an episode of Batman 66 before you ever got a Batman comic. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming, and sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord if you haven't already. You can post about any of our segments there or send an MP3 submission for the comic pushers or for Ask a Nerd or whatever to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the show. 
If you're new to the show and you would rather Rogue ruined your entire life off panel than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twitternerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our old pal Tony Mathers. That guy's still around? Anthony Heck Mathers? Yeah, good Lord. One of our early patrons, still I, going strong. I thought he died years ago in the fire. But if you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash to edit nerd. Tony, glad you got out of there alive, buddy. And your skin grafts are healing nicely. Yeah, yeah. You look you look great. More importantly, all go- those kitties survived. Okay? That's what's really <laughs> most important, Tony. You did the right thing. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our friends from across the pond, Ian and Gail Kelly, a.k.a. Stately Lord Fungus and QE2. The Kellys were hit with blow after blow earlier this week, losing heat, losing hot water, losing their internet access. Jesus Christ. Their internet access? Are they okay? Hey, (laughs) look, man, you try sitting around with nothing to do and no internet. All while trying to get over another bout of COVID. It's not like they could go out and watch a movie. God, you guys. Like, dang. Word to both of you friends. Everyone here in the Ziggurat is sending you lots of love and hoping that you are doing a lot better. Get off that island. We got to get you, like, over to civilization for crying out loud. My God. Until next time. We got COVID here, too. We got COVID here, too, and we're probably worse about it than they are. I was talking about hot water on the internet, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just drop your stack in a cold shower. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.